0: I am going to read from Acts 6, 1 to 7. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebratic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the world. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Pecorius, Nicanor, Timon, Paramus, and Nicholas from Antioch to convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It's just a
1: helpful way to remember some of the things that are important for us as a Baptist church with regard to. The government of a church, uh, notice biblical authority, that only the scriptures uh, determines what we're going to practice and believe. The autonomy of the local church, that each church is self-governing, and we're going to talk about that one today. Priesthood of the believer, the ministry belongs to all of us as Christians. There is not uh, one who uh, is better than another, but uh, we are all capable of serving God and should serve God. And uh, two church offices, pastors and deacons, or elders, bishops, pastors, is one church office. Deacons is another. Individual soul, liberty. Each person should interpret the scriptures for themselves, and you have that right to determine what the scriptures mean for you. Save church membership. Only those who are born again, professing Christ, following Christ, should be members of a church. Two church ordinances, the Lord's table and baptism. Next week, we're talking about baptism. You can't talk about what it means to be a Baptist without talking about baptism. Then finally, separation of church and state. So when it comes to religious liberty, three of these things are about religious liberty. That the state does not tell us what to do, and the state does not interfere in our practice of religion. And Baptists became Baptists in the 1600s. And the problem then was that the king was in charge of the church in England. And Baptists finally got fed up with it. We want to practice our beliefs the way we want to practice them. We want to worship the way we want to. And we want to have these individuals preach who you won't license. But we want to hear them preach. And it was illegal to preach if you did not have a license. And uh, that separation of church and state. The church, I mean, the state should not be telling what the church what to do. Uh, we believe in ecclesiastical liberty, that a head office should not be telling a local church, "Here's the way you should believe, and here's what you should practice." So, freedom from bishops and freedom from popes. Okay, and uh, finally, individual soul liberty. I would call that the freedom from the pastor. Right? Freedom from the pastor. The pastor's authority over me is related to the word of God. And if that's what the word of God says, then I should do it. Otherwise, uh, I should not be doing it. Um, So when it comes to the autonomy of the local church, there are three main ways to govern a church. And uh, there are three churches with the names of those three ways. This will help you remember it. Number one, Episcopal. Okay, a bishop-run church. So the bishops hold the power in the church. And uh, the United—I mean, uh, the United States has a church called the Episcopalian Church. That's the Church of England in the United States. Anglicans in the United States are called Episcopalians. Bishop-run denomination. Okay, And there are many churches that are run that way. I would say the Salvation Army is that way. So the power is on top, and it comes down to the local church so that they decide who your pastor will be, they will decide what you do with your facility, all those kind of things. Okay, That's, that's Episcopalian. Secondly, Presbyterian. Presbyterian means the Presbytery holds the final power, or the Synod. And uh, we obviously have Presbyterian churches, so that's like the Presbyterians, uh, the United Church is very Presbyterian, um, and there are others. And finally, there is congregational, so the power belongs to the congregation. When it comes to our church, we, are the, congreg- we, we the congregation are the final source of authority for our church. We decide what we're going to do as a bunch of individuals belonging to this church. So the owners of this church and this property are the members of the church. You decide what happens on the property. Right? That's, and uh, by the way, you decide what happens with your money. When you give your money to the church, we decide what we do with the money of the church. Not somebody up above us who takes the money or they don't tell us what to do with it. We make those decisions ourselves as a congregation. We can call whatever pastor we want. Now, I don't want you to know that, but you can have any pastor you want to have, right? That's that's, that's congregationalism. Uh, we can get a better pastor. We can get a younger pastor. Uh, all those things are within our power as a church, and we uh, One of the beauties of congregationalism is that it forces you to be responsible, right? If there's a problem in this church, it's your problem. (laughs) If there are things that aren't going well, that's your problem, right? So uh, not just the pastor's problem. Okay, now, how am I going to prove that? So that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to look at some scriptures that help you see that uh, this is a good way to do things. Um, now, as we talk about things that are important, the government of a church is down the list on what is important for a Christian. Okay, so you can be in have a Presbyterian kind of government. Still be following Jesus Christ and loving Jesus Christ and serving him and be effective in the world. Uh, Because some things are just more important. That God is a trinity is more important. That Jesus is the savior of all men and the only savior. That's more important than the kind of government. But uh, the kind of government a church has, it is important, but it's down the list. Okay, Uh, Acts chapter 6, the passage in your bulletin. Uh, notice verse 1. And this we'll spend more time on this passage than any other. In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So this is in the early church, and this is in Jerusalem. right? They're still in Jerusalem. This is the only place there's a Christian church. These are the only Christians in the entire world. They're in Jerusalem... And now we've got a problem. And the problem is is that those widows who are Hebrew, they're from Jerusalem or they're from they're from Israel and they speak Hebrew as their native language, they are being treated better than the widows who are speak Greek as their first language and uh, they are also Jewish Christians. However, they are from a probably a Greek city. Greek is their first language. Hebrew is their second language. They don't quite fit into the Jerusalem culture as well as these native Hebrew widows. And they see that the Greek widows are being more neglected. They're not getting as good a service. By the way, all the apostles are Hebrew. Right? that they are, they are Hebrew Hebrews. They grew up speaking Hebrew. They're, they all are from the, the nation of Israel. Um, but they've got a problem. How are we going to solve this problem? There seems to be some kind of prejudice going on. Some individuals are not being looked after as well. They don't quite fit into the church as well, and we're neglecting them. It's not right. How are we going to solve it? Notice what they do. The 12, those are the 12 apostles. Summon the full number of the disciples. So notice when we have a problem, what do we do? Call everybody. Right? Let's gather the congregation together. Let's talk to everybody at the same time. Summon the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables the word for serve is the word that we from which we get deacon it means to minister at tables okay a physical ministry we shouldn't have to give up the preaching of the word of god to solve this problem how are you going to solve the problem it's going to take time energy we don't have the time and energy but within the congregation surely there are godly people that we can appoint and say, let's solve this problem in the church. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And so they ask the congregation, you do the job, you pick out seven. You find them. Congregationalism. Right? It's not, we're going to pick the seven You pick the seven, then we'll lay our hands on them, and we'll turn them loose. Now, by the way, the seven they choose, phenomenal, right? Stephen becomes one of the greatest witnesses to the the Lord Jesus Christ, and Stephen goes around to synagogues, Greek-speaking synagogues, right? So they don't speak Hebrew. And so all these visitors into into Jerusalem who don't speak Hebrew have to speak Greek. Those are the one, those are the those are the synagogues that Stephen goes to and he's powerful. And he's converting people. And piles of people come to Christ and no one can stand up to Stephen. So that's when they decide, let's kill him. They try him and they kill him. He's the first martyr. But uh, this is congregationalism, and here you see the congregation being called together to make a decision and to pick individuals. Um, I wrote down quickly, I said, what do we mean by congregational or autonomy of the local church? Number one, the local church determines it, who its leaders are. Uh, secondly, the local de- church determines how it handles its finances. And I tell everybody our finances are an open book. We're transparent. Uh, If you're a member, you can ask a question about anything. If you're an adherent, ask a question. We will give you an answer. Letter C. The local church determines the structure of its government. Okay, How we will proceed with things. Letter D. Local church deter- determines its members and discipline. Local church handles its own property. And the members are the owners of the church. Is that a, Do I think it's important? I think it's important. We see the importance of it as we see mainline denominations abandoning the word of God and abandoning, abandoning re, uh, allegiance to Jesus Christ. And they control what their ministers do. So if you are an evangelical pastor in the mainline denominations, not only is your pension at risk, the congregation cannot support you because their building is at risk. They hold all the power. They hold all the money. And that's dangerous when you have uh, a denomination that becomes very modernist, liberal, won't believe the scriptures, won't hold to Jesus Christ as the only savior. Uh, The church is in trouble. And you see many of those denominations in trouble today. Um, I have a friend, James McDonald, and a pastor in Chicago, pastor of the largest church in Chicago. At least it was the largest church in Chicago, 13,000. And he wrote a letter, and the letter was entitled, Congregational Government is from Satan. Caught my attention. But his arguments are mainly these, that congregationalism tends to be anti-pastor, tends to divide up into factions, tend to have individuals who push their own agenda, and the church can never grow. Um, I disagree with him. Um, Notice with me, let's take another passage. Um, Let's skip to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul's writing from prison, writing to the church at Philippi, and here's what he writes. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Together with the overseers and deacons. Uh, It's almost like a throwaway verse, and you go, why is he reading that verse? Notice what I want you to see, that as he writes this letter, he writes it to the entire church. So the entire church is responsible for the, how they handle the word of God. But he also includes the leadership of the church. Notice they have two offices. That's right off of my list. Two church offices. Overseers and deacons. But notice how many bishops, overseer, Philippi has. It has more than one. It has more than one bishop, pastor, pastor or overseer it has many there's not one bishop in charge of Philippi there are many bishops in that in the city now whether it's one church having multiple elders or multiple overseers or whether it's number of small house churches and each one having an elder or an overseer so that when you write to the city you say overseers and deacons But notice there are many. So that's congregationalism. All the offices are right there in that one church as he writes to this church. Uh, Bishop is not a separate category over top the church. When uh, the King James Bible was translated, uh, the word for church literally means assembly or congregation. And they did not want the Bible being translated in English. Every time you see church, they did not want you seeing assembly or congregation, because they thought people are going to think that when they gather together as a group, that they are the church. We don't want them to think that. When they when 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 they hear the word church, we want them to think, well, that's the king of England. He's the head of the church. And it's the bishops; they're the leaders of the church. And it's the priests; they're the ones who are, or who are who are leading the church. Uh, the congregation's almost like an afterthought. And uh, here you see what is the church? It's all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. That's the church. And it's almost like an afterthought. Well, yes, the bishops and the deacons, together with the bishops and the deacons. The church is in charge of church discipline. The church is in charge of church discipline. That's the autonomy of the local church. Matthew 18, a famous passage. For if you have problems with another Christian. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. I don't like that. I usually like to tell everybody else the fault. (laughs) I don't want to go to the source first. I I, I won't have any gossip to tell. No, I want to go and tell everybody else. No, go and tell him his fault between you and him. If he listens to him, you've gained your brother. If he does not listen, take two or three others with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Notice, tell it to the church. Tell it to the congregation. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And I love that, two or three gathered in my name. It's not, do we have two or three pastors, or do we have two or three deacons? It's two or three gathered in my name. I am there in the midst of them. Each church is gifted with gifted members. Each church is gifted with gifted members. Why can we be autonomous? Because God has gifted every single one of you who follow Christ to serve him and to help others. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. That word for service is that same word for deacon or ministry. Um, I think a better translation would be there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, or varieties of workings, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So to every single one of us, he gives us the Holy Spirit. A gift from him. A way to minister to others. A way to help others. And he's given it to every single one of us. But notice the purpose. For the common good. It's not for your good. right? Sometimes we think that about spiritual gifts. Well, I'm glad I've got this gift. Um, I've used this illustration before. Bill McGregor. Kathy McGregor's dad. He had the gift of faith. Gift of faith, wonderful gift. I used to look down on the gift of faith. I used to think, if I could have any gift, I want the gift of healing, <laughs> right? That's useful. <laughs> gift of faith, that's not useful at all. You can't help anybody with that gift. I don't think that way anymore. Gift of faith, one of those great gifts. And Bill had the, had just the ability to trust in God and believe that God was going to help him and help others, it uh, didn't matter what was happening in his life. And so Bill had a problem with the tumor in the brain. and uh, But he he wasn't worried about it. God's going to take care of me. And that faith was transparent so that when you talk to him, you couldn't help but know this guy believes in God. doesn't matter what happens. He's got a trust in God that's unwavering. And that gift of faith is meant to be contagious. It wasn't meant just for Bill so that when Bill goes through all the difficulties of life, Bill can just go, you know something? I trust in God. doesn't matter if my whole life falls apart. I trust in God. I'm okay. No, it's not for him. It's for everybody around him so that as he trusts in God, other people are lifted up by seeing his faith. That's the way the Christian life is. That's why the church can be autonomous and we can be on our own because look how many people are here. With all of us exercising our gifts for the common good, Christ is going to be praised and people are going to be enriched uh, because of all of us. For the common good, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healings by the one spirit. And I think it's a double plural. Gifts of healings, which means these are not... No one is given the gift of healing so that they are a healing person, a healer. A healer. But he does this for his church and his people at various times and in various ways. And I think he still does it today. Still gives gifts of healings. To another, the workings of miracles. Another double plural to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. How can we be autonomous as a local church and stand on our own? Because the Holy Spirit comes in and gifts every single one of us for the good of the body of Christ. And today I'm going to end uh, with just a quick uh, quick story. I read this this week and I thought, wow, that's faith. So in 1600, there were zero Baptists in the world. Zero. By 1660, there were 20,000. That's the time period in which Baptists rose and it was in a fight for religious liberty. We want to be able to worship God the way we want We want to be able to read his word and then say, well, that means this is what we should do in church, as opposed to being told, this is what you will do. One of the individuals uh, first imprisoned for this was John Bunyan, and uh, he was imprisoned because a number of individuals asked him to come and preach, and he showed up to preach. He did not have a license, and so as he started to preach, they arrested him because he's preaching without a license. He then spent 12 years in prison because they, they would have let him go. They said, you can go, but you can't preach. He said, I'm going to preach. <laughs> I'm going to tell people what God's word means. They go, well, you've got to stay in prison. So this is a conversation between his wife, his second wife. His first wife died. So I'm going to read you a conversation between his second wife and the judge as they determine what happens to Bunyan. Justice Chester said, My lord, Bunyan is a pestilent fellow. There is not another such fellow in the country. So Judge Twisden said to Elizabeth, that's Bunyan's wife, What? Will your husband leave preaching? If he will do so, then send for him. Elizabeth, my lord, he dares not leave preaching so long as he can speak. Judge Twisden. See here, what should we talk any more about such a fellow? Must he do what he lists? He's a breaker of the peace. Elizabeth, he desires to live peaceably and to follow his calling that his family may be maintained. Moreover, my Lord, I have four small children that cannot help themselves. One is blind, and we have nothing to live on but the charity of good people. Judge Hale, this is another judge, You have four children? Thou art but a young woman to have four children. Elizabeth, I'm I'm but mother-in-law to them, having not been married to my husband yet two full years. Indeed, I was with child when my husband was first arrested. But being young and unaccustomed to such things, I, being swayed at the news, fell into labor, and so continued for eight days. Then was delivered, but my child died. Judge Hale. Alas, poor woman, Judge Twisden, you make poverty your cloak. I understand that your husband is maintained better by running up, by running up and down by preaching. Sorry, I'm, I understand that your husband is maintained better by running up and down a preaching than by following his calling. Judge Hale, what's his calling? Somebody else standing by said he's a tinker, my lord. Elizabeth, yes. Because he's a tinker and a poor man, therefore he is despised, cannot have justice. Judge Hale, I tell thee, woman, seeing it is so that they have taken what your husband said for a conviction, thou must either apply thyself to the king or sue out his pardon or get a writ of error. Justice Chester, my lord, he will preach. He will do what he wants. Elizabeth, he preaches nothing but the word of God. Judge Twisden, he preached the word of God? He runs up and down and does harm. Elizabeth, no, my lord, it's not so. God owns him and done much good by him. Judge Twisden, his doctrine is the doctrine of the devil. Elizabeth, my lord, when the righteous judge shall appear, it will be known that his doctrine is not the doctrine of the devil. Anyways, phenomenal, not only does... uh, uh, Bunyan have tremendous faith. His wife has tremendous faith. He spent 12 years in prison. While in prison, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, a wonderful Christian book about how uh, we as Christians uh, go through life. Um, one of the first Baptists. That's our, it's our heritage. Uh, the freedom of religion is not the freedom to do nothing. But it's the freedom to follow Christ as we see fit. That is the autonomy of the local church. Next time, why be baptized? Let's look to the Lord in prayer.